Well, this morning, before I get into my message today, I have a story that I want to share with you as we get started. Late one summer night in Broken Bow, Nebraska. Anybody ever heard of Broken Bow, Nebraska? Me neither. But a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop, wanting to get some much-needed rest and some food. He goes in, and he sits down at the table. Waitress takes his order, comes, brings his food, and about that time, three tough-looking, leather-jacketed motorcyclists come in, kind of the Hell's Angel type, and they decide, we're going to give this trucker a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, one reached over and grabbed a hamburger right off his plate. Another reaches over and takes a whole handful of fries off his plate. The other reaches over and takes his cup of coffee and starts drinking his coffee. Let me just stop here and say, what would be your reaction? What would be your response? Well, this truck driver didn't respond the way I would have expected him to. Instead, he calmly gets up, picks up his check, walks to the front of the truck stop where the cash register is, puts his check and his money on the cash register, and walks out of the truck stop. Well, the waitress sees him uh, doing this, so she follows him up to put the money uh, in the till, and then watches the trucker pull his rig out of the parking lot. Well, she comes back to um, the table to clean things up. The, the uh, motorcycle gang's still there, sitting there, and one of them says, hey, he wasn't much of a man, was he? She looked at the, the uh, uh, biker and said, well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you he's not much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles going out of the parking lot. <laughs> Today we're finishing up our sermon series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We've been on this for several weeks, but we've all had neighbors, right? We all have neighbors. Some we like, and to be honest, some we don't like. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the people that live next door. I'm talking about the people that are in our lives, that we come in contact with every day. Some, if we're honest, will say, I really don't like them. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they say. I don't like what the, how they act. I don't like what they post on Facebook. So with that said, this is going to make this message and the text I'm going to go after today really hard for a lot of us. It's going to challenge us, I believe, to our core because it's one of the hardest passages in all Scripture for us to actually live out through our lives on a daily basis. I believe you'll find out pretty quick how this really challenges us as followers of Christ and how Jesus is putting an all-out assault. I can't even describe it any other way but an all-out assault on hate. In Matthew chapter 5, many of us know this as the most famous sermon ever preached, when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 43, listen to what Jesus says. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Jesus says, But I tell you, love your enemies. I'm thinking, ouch. That steps on a lot of our toes. Ouch, that's a pretty hard one to swallow. Pretty hard one to uh, digest sometimes. We argue about that one sometimes, and when I think about it, how impossible does that sound? How in the world do you love someone that doesn't love you? How in the world do you love someone that is out to hurt you and to harm you? And the truth is, we all want to love those that already love us. I mean, that's our human nature, to love those that already love us. Well, someone made up a little list, three reasons why we should love our enemies, and I agree with these. Number one, it's cheaper than getting a lawyer, amen? Amen. Think about it. Good point. 
Number two, it decreases the likelihood that you're going to end up on an episode of Jerry Springer. Amen? Think about that. But the most important reason of all that we should love our neighbor is simply because Jesus said so. Because Jesus told us to love our neighbor. Now, I don't have any trouble loving my wife, Cheryl. Uh, we got married because we love each other. We love being around each other. And Cheryl, I'll just say sometimes, not all the time, genuinely is interested in who I am as a person. Maybe not all the time. But we've been married for 25 years. 25 years. And she says it's been 25 years of bliss. Something like that. Maybe it was blistering years. I think it was blistering years. I don't have any trouble loving my kids. I don't have any trouble loving my grandchildren because they're a big part of who I am. I love them without any question at all. I love them with all of my heart. Oh, sure, there are times when we argue. There are times when we disagree and don't see eye to eye. But at the end of the day, we still love each other. But Jesus comes along in this text and tosses a monkey wrench into this whole love thing. He says, not only are you to love those that love you, hey, you're supposed to love those that don't love you. Not just those that are in love with you. Have you ever noticed that when you get angry at someone, upset with someone, that becomes the whole focus of your life? I mean, no matter what's going on around you, all you seem to be able to focus on is that person and how they've wronged you, how they've done you wrong in your life, and guess what happens? You get caught up in a trap of hatred. An actual trap of hatred where it's hard to function as a human being. It gets hard to function as a person, and it's definitely hard to function as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. So when someone wrongs you, and this isn't a trick question, what's our first instinct to do? Get back. Get back at that person. Get revenge on that person. Our first instinct is to make them hurt as much as they've made me hurt. That's the world's answer. That's not God's answer, but that's the world's answer to being wrong. But Jesus gives us as his followers a whole different response that goes totally against our human nature. He says you're supposed to love those that don't love you. How hard is that? It's hard. We love our enemies. I want to stop right here and say, hey, what Jesus just said is not a call to weakness. We as followers of Christ are called to meekness not weakness. Amen? We're called to be meek and not weak. But we're not called to ignore sin, and we're not called to let people walk over us like we're a doormat. And So I believe if you really break this text down and look at it, this is a call to strength by Jesus, because when Jesus saw wrongs committed, he stood up. He addressed the wrongs. Remember when, the Pharisees, when everybody was praising the Pharisees or the religious people, Jesus was the ones and stood up and said, and says, I saw something that you guys don't see. He said, these guys look like whitewashed tombs. What's he saying there? They look good on the outside, these religious people, but they're dead on the inside. They look good on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. The second thing about this text is it's not a validation for abuse or of abuse. It's no excuse for the abuse. In fact, the laws are so set in place uh, to help the authorities protect us from abuse. So I just want to stop here because it's a moment that I can take to say if you're in an abusive situation in here, maybe no one else knows about it but you, let me just say, tell somebody that can help you get out of that situation, that abusive situation, before it gets worse. Just wanted to put that interjection in there just for a moment. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm in a pretty good place because I don't have any enemies. Well, praise God for that. 
But let me tell you, truthfully and honestly, if you don't have any now, thank you, Jesus, but you're going to have. You're going to have probably more than one. It's one of the most unfortunate things in life that there are some people who are never, ever going to love you or like you, let alone love you, no matter what you do. So that's why I want to take this time in this message to actually see what Jesus has to say scripturally about loving our neighbor. Look what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. He says, but to you who are listening, are you listening this morning? But to you who are listening, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those that mistreat you. Did you catch all three of those? Not so easy, but if you're taking notes today, the first one uh, when it comes to loving our enemies is do good to those who hate you. Easier said than done. Amen? And some of you are sitting there saying, I'm sorry, did I miss something? They're my enemies. There's a reason they're my enemies. They've hurt me. They've wronged me. They've done me dirty. Why in the world would I want to love someone that's done all that to me? Well, flat out, because Jesus tells us to. We don't have to like it, but we have to obey it. Amen? I mean, that's the bottom line. I don't have to like it, but I have to obey it. This is what Jesus is telling us to do, I believe, through this text. But it didn't start with this text. It actually goes all the way back to the beginning. We are to do what God has called us to do because it's His will. It's His will. It's even spelled out in Exodus chapter 23, verse 4 and 5. God's people were instructed to do this. It says, and catch this, the key word's enemy. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. So what's he saying? Do good to your enemies. Even if it's the last thing you want to do, still do good. And why? Because God says to love our enemies, to do good to our enemies. But part of that scripture I read earlier, the rabbis were saying, hey, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. My guess is that a lot of us, maybe even in this room, wouldn't have a hard time following that kind of law or rule. But it really doesn't take much supernatural power to follow that law. Look what Jesus says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Even sinners love those around them that love them. When Jesus calls us to love those that hate us, guess what he's doing? He's calling us to absolutely do something that's totally contrary to our human nature. I said it a minute ago, human nature wants to what? Get revenge. Human nature wants to get even. Human nature wants, uh, when somebody messes with us, to put the hammer down on them. But a lot of times in our thinking, we think, well, revenge is going to be sweet. It's going to make me feel so much better. But this is what I know about hate and revenge. It's one of the most horrible tools that in the end, it turns around and ends up destroying us. Not even the ones that we're putting the hate toward, it destroys us. The CDC came out with a statistic that said 85% of all diseases trace back to some kind of emotional connection. It said your emotions can actually trigger your genes to either express health or express disease. That's pretty powerful when something can trigger your human anatomy to either trigger health or disease. And another huge thing about hatred, it destroys you spiritually. So not only can it destroy you physically, emotionally, relationally, it can destroy you spiritually. We're told through the Bible, what's the very essence of God? That He is love, right? The Bible even says He is love. So if we're harboring anger or hatred in our heart, then I just have to say we are living contrary to God 
and how he told us to live our lives. Loving each other. And the result of that, you may not realize it, but is a disconnect from God. When we can't love our neighbor, we're disconnecting ourselves from the ways of God, basically from a relationship with God, and keeping him from doing what he wants to do and be able to do in our lives. The psalmist in Psalm 66, verse 18 said, If I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. You know, there might be some of us in this room that we feel disconnected from God today. You feel distant from God, and the whole reason is because you're harboring something in your heart, your mind, your life, that you shouldn't be harboring there. And it's holding you back. And believe it or not, it's holding God back. Yeah, He can do anything, but our hatred for others will keep God from doing all that He wants to do, all that He's able to do. So in loving our enemies, what's that mean for us? How, do, how could we paint that? That could be, that could be mowing uh, the lawn of a neighbor that's been so hateful you, you, to you, you can't stand or haven't st- been able to stand them in the past. Mowing their lawn. It could be filling in for that mean-spirited co-worker at work that's always talking behind your back. It could be being faithful, or not faithful, being helpful to that ex-spouse. It may be providing for that parent that didn't necessarily provide for you and take care of you growing up. But I said all that, and those are just a few. I'm talking about what Jesus is telling us to do. Love those that don't love us. Love those that even hate us. And I believe with all of my heart, if we could get the grip on this thing, if we could get it in our heart and our mind and act it out, you would be shocked at the freedom you might feel from all the anger that's trying to bind you up, all the anger that's trying to hold you captive, to release them, to forgive them for all those mean things they've done to you. You might even be surprised. We might even be surprised at the impact we have on our enemies. So number one, do good to those who hate you. Number two, bless those who curse you. That's not easy to do either. They're out there cursing you, and I'm supposed to turn around and bless them? Not the easiest thing, not the natural thing to do. I heard a story about a soldier who was an American soldier who was fighting over in Iraq. He got a Dear John letter from his girlfriend saying that she wanted to break up with him. She was getting married to another guy back here in the States. He also made another request that she wanted her picture back that she had sent him uh, to uh, put in the paper as her bridal announcement. This guy's heart was broken. He was distraught. He told his platoon buddies about what she was uh, doing and what she was asking him to do. And one of the guys in the platoon said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's take the pictures of all of our girlfriends and let's put them in an envelope along with a note that this guy sends back to his ex-girlfriend and write this on your note. He said, for the life of me, I can't remember which picture is yours. (laughs) So please remove all these pictures I'm sending. Get the one you want and send back the rest. We laugh, but that's how we handle life sometimes. That's how how we handle circumstances sometimes. We want to get revenge, but God, on the other hand, says, bless those who hurt you. He's actually referring deep down to the way we talk about people, the way we talk talk to people that have treated us wrongly, badly. A blessing, if you catch that, is a positive word, right? It doesn't mean to tear down. It means to build up. It means to encourage someone and forgive those who hurt you for your benefit. Not because they deserve it, because they don't, but for your benefit, because forgiveness, guess what it does? It changes our hearts. It heals our hearts. People from your past can't continue to hurt you today unless you allow them to. And how do we allow them to? By holding on to that stupid resentment, holding on to that hatred, that anger that we have in our hearts. 
Anytime you resent someone, guess what you're doing? You're giving them a piece of your heart. Anytime you resent someone, you're giving them your, a piece of your attention. You're giving them a piece of your mind. And when you really think about that, do you want to do that? No. So we need to take it back by forgiving. Forgive those who have hurt us. And instead of rehearsing that hurt over and over, just release it. Let it go. Because in the end, it's going to destroy you. They might not even know about it, but it's going to take you down. Proverbs 25, verse 1. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Just to give you a heads up, he's not talking about literally taking burning coals and dumping on somebody's head. He's actually talking about loving that person, regardless of how they've hurt you, what they've done to you, in a way, in such a way, that they'll feel ashamed of the way that they treated you. And in the end, turn them toward God, turn them uh, toward a right heart. Martin Luther King Jr., I think, was an example, great example of this. Think about his life, think about his ministry. He was persecuted on some of the highest levels out there, but he never actually warred back against his persecutors or his accusers. He didn't shy away either. He stood up. He made a righteous stand. He confronted people, but in a loving way, in a way that actually caused people to see a moral compassion that this man had, that he knew God knew we needed to have in our lives. He made a righteous stand. So there's nothing wrong with making a righteous, loving, godly stand. But when we're offended, we're hurt, we're in pain, when we're frustrated, when we're angry, do you realize that's the greatest opportunity we have to be a witness for Jesus Christ? When we're going through all those things, that's the greatest moment of opportunity that we have to be a witness for Christ. And it's also how we can become more like Christ, who actually did his greatest work, if you think back, when he was in the middle of being offended, when he was in the middle of being hurt, when he was in the middle of feeling all this pain. I love what it says in Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Did you catch that? A gentle answer, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I really believe that most of us would have a whole lot fewer enemies if we had learned to talk to people in a way that built them up instead of tearing them down. Amen? Harsh words actually put people in a, uh, let's say, a fighting mood when we come at them and attack them. But kind words, according to that scripture, softens their spirit, softens their heart, softens their response. So number two, bless those that curse you. And the last point is pray for those who mistreat you. Don't you wish Jesus would make it easier? He doesn't. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, before you get all excited, he's not talking about praying that your enemies will get run over by a truck. He's not talking that they'll have the worst case of hemorrhoids they've ever had. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about praying for revenge upon our enemies. But I'm only human. I can think of times in my life when people have wronged me and what I do, even as a minister, I hung on to it too long. I hung on to it. I dwelt on it. It captured my thoughts. It captured my time and attention. It made me miserable until I finally decided this isn't doing anybody any good and I chose to forgive. I chose to walk away from that hate. So how do we pray for people that have hurt us? If you hate somebody in your heart, I think the best way is just to get honest with God. You think he doesn't know and see that hate in your heart? He already sees it. So I think the best prayer we could ever pray is, God, you know I hate that so-and-so. <laughs> you don't have to put the so-and-so in there, but God, I hate that person. But God, I don't want to hate that person. 
God, show me how I can stop hating that person. Show me, God, how I can have compassion on that person. Show me how I can get out of this pit of hatred and anger. Show me how, God, I need your help. I, I think God loves that kind of prayer. Oh, he sees our sin. He sees the hatred in our heart, but he wants to heal that hatred. C.S. Lewis, a great man of God, once said that prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes me. Prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. Communication or prayer, conversation with God, can take the sting out of what somebody's done to hurt us in our lives. It can just take the sting totally out of it. So when was the last time that you prayed for your enemies? Think about it. When was the last time that become part of your daily routine in your prayer life? When's the last time you prayed for that person that humiliated you, that, that mistreated you, that offended you, that got under your skin, did you wrong? I heard a minister once say, and this is so true, don't ever criticize someone you haven't prayed for. Don't ever criticize someone you haven't prayed for. We are all called to pray for those that God puts across our paths regardless of the circumstances. When was the last time you prayed for your coworker? And I'll hit some of us pretty hard. When was the last time we prayed for our spouses? When was the last time we prayed for our husband and wife? When was the last time, this is a big one, you prayed for that political party you didn't quite agree with? When was the last time? Instead of ranting and raving and storming, start praying for that person. God actually calls us to pray for those people. We're called to pray for those that persecute us. And you know why we pray for those people? It's so their hearts can be changed. And why do you do that? It's all because that forgiveness that we are to show to others has already been given to you and I. That forgiveness has already taken place through Jesus Christ and what He did a long time ago. This is what Christ did, and some of you will remember the context of this uh, text And just as soon as I read it. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You remember what was happening when He prayed that prayer? He was stretched out on a cross. He was brutally beaten, bleeding, and dying on a cross. Imagine Jesus speaking to his executioners, hanging on that cross, and he offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. In my mind, there's no doubt that he loved those that were persecuting him. Amen? He loved those that were enemies, you might say, to him. He's on the cross. He's talking about forgiving those that have hung him on the cross He's in the middle of all this torment, pain, close to death. And what's he do? He calls out mercy from the Father above. He calls out for grace from the Father above. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he forgives in that moment. And I believe he sets up the greatest example for every follower of Christ to follow. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till I got all cleaned up. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. Jesus is calling us, I believe, to imitate the love of our Heavenly Father with everyone we interact, whether we consider them now friends or enemies. With our friends, with our families, with our co-workers, with strangers, even with our enemies. He calls us to love and to do good. And you know why he calls us to love? Because he's the standard of love. He's the standard of love that we are to aim toward, to love each other. And God's love is perfect. I heard a story about a missionary group. Jim Elliott was one of the five missionaries to Ecuador who were killed by a tribe of Indians that they were trying to reach for the gospel. The Aka Indians were a violent tribe who speared all five men to death, even though they had made a friendly contact with this tribe just a month earlier. 
Years later, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, along with Rachel Saint, the sister of one of the other missionaries that were killed, they went and they lived with the Aka tribe and shared the gospel with them. They brought a message of love and salvation to the very men that had killed their loved ones. Many of the Aka tribe this time were saved. They accepted Christ because of the bold and loving witness they saw from Elizabeth and Rachel. I believe Elizabeth and Rachel, with all of my heart, knew something that most of us don't. They knew what Jesus really meant when he said, love your enemies. You might be wondering, how in the world could you do that? How in the world would that be possible? The answer is simple. I believe Elizabeth and Rachel knew Jesus. And they knew this Jesus who had forgiven them when they were his enemies. When they were sinning against him. And so they did what God told them to do. They reached out with love and forgiveness for those that had sinned against them. But let me say this about God. I think it's awesome that God never asked you and I to do anything that he hasn't already done. That he hasn't already been there, done that. God loved us when we were called his enemies. God loved us when we were sinning against him. And now he calls us to turn the table and love our enemies. So Jesus said, love your enemies. Yes, it's the hardest command we'll ever get. But it gets the greatest results. When we'll go that extra mile. When we'll treat those that don't treat us right, we'll still treat them right according to God's Word. And do you realize there's not another time when we more imitate God, our Heavenly Father, than actually when we love our enemies unconditionally? I believe Jesus wants to call every one of us as followers of Christ to live by a higher standard than what this world expects by what this world tells us to live by, and it's a standard that you and I cannot achieve on our own. It's only through the power of God's Spirit that you and I can ever possibly love our neighbor, but love our enemy. Only by His power. You and I can't do it. He didn't create us to do it. He created us to depend upon Him. And when I look at the world around us, they need it now more than they've ever needed it. And you know whose job it is to accomplish that? Not just this congregation, not this, this church, but the body of Christ. The churches together, loving the world like Jesus loves them, can turn this world from wrong side, upside down to right side up. So could you stand to your feet? And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment in your own heart to start living out what I've preached about this morning. We're going to make mistakes? Sure. We're still going to be upset with people? Sure. But it's a moment by moment taking back by forgiving. I think bottom line is we can all do a whole lot better job loving our neighbors, right? And without a doubt, we can do a whole lot better job loving our enemies. Could you bow your hearts in prayer? Father God, as we close out this series, Lord God, you have challenged us with one of the hardest challenges of all, and that's to love our enemies. Lord, that goes against every bit of our human nature. So, Father, we need your strength, and we need the power of your Spirit to be able to accomplish this. Lord God, I pray for those right now that are harboring anger, maybe even hatred toward their so-called enemies in their hearts and in their lives, toward people that have hurt them, wronged them, sinned against them. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us right now to make the choice to obey your Word and to forgive those that have mistreated us, those that have done us wrong. Forgive our enemies and to release them from their offenses.
Father God, help us make a choice right now. Every person in this building, I'm going to make a choice to love, not to hate. And in doing so, I pray, Father, that you would release us from any bitterness or resentment that we might be harboring in our hearts. Lord God, I thank you for your supernatural power and the supernatural healings that are taking place in lives today, in relationships today. But help us, Lord God, above it all, to be more like you to the world around us. In your precious name I pray, amen. If you agree with that, just say amen. amen. Well, this morning before we get out of here, we have a CR meeting. Remember, it's 7 o'clock tonight. Come back if you can. God bless you all.